Um, there's another one called the Oceanside RV Park that's run by the Lions Club. That's the same kind of deal. It's right on the water and it's just kind of a gravel parking space. We tried to book that one, but the guy wasn't returning our phone call. Um, so then we, when he fin- we booked the Theco Motel. When he finally called us back, Dave said, oh yeah, we booked somewhere else. And he said, oh yeah, that's my aunt's place. So that works out. So you get, you get a lot of that in Newfoundland. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Jeremy. And we are the authors of Where Should We Camp Next? And Where Should We Camp Next? National Parks. This season, we are back with a brand new RV and brand new adventures. Join us now as we cover the best campgrounds, the best rigs, the best food, and the best gear to bring with you when you go. So pull up a chair and join us around the digital campfire. This is the RV Atlas. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of the RV Atlas. Today, we are coming at you with an epic two-part series on planning an RV trip to Newfoundland. It's with Gretchen Holcomb from Boxy Colonial on the Road. She was there for five weeks in her RV. She saw just about everything. She would probably say she didn't see everything, but she saw a whole lot. And she's going to give us two amazing episodes. It's going to be everything you need to plan your own epic trip to Newfoundland. Now, in episode one, we're going to cover trip planning tips, sort of pre-planning. We're going to talk about the ferry a lot. We're even going to get into bringing your dog across on the ferry. And there's a lot of stuff you really need to know here if you want to bring a dog. And then we're going to get into Western Newfoundland and talk about Grossmore National Park quite a bit and some other things as well. And then Gretchen's going to come back next week and she's going to talk about the eastern part of the province as well. We are going to give you two robust episodes that are almost like an ebook on planning an RV trip to Newfoundland. Uh, and I know that it's going to inspire some of you to, to get out there and to do this incredible, incredible road trip up into Canada and into Atlantic Canada and the Maritime Provinces. Our family did an RV trip, trip up through New Brunswick into Nova Scotia. We did PEI but we never got to Newfoundland. And this episode is really making me want to go. It's also our second epic two-part series on an RV trip this summer. We did one earlier with Carrie Cox on her epic road trip to New Mexico. And I love doing these multi-part series. I love going in-depth on a location and really trying to inspire you to go yourselves and to um, tell you everything that you need to know to make the trip happen. This trip can seem daunting but it doesn't need to be daunting if you're prepared and Gretchen's going to get us all prepared to do this. I know for some of you, you might not be able to make this trip for years, but you can listen now and you'll come back to this podcast and you'll find everything you need to know. Also, we have extensive show notes on the RVAtlas.com with some of Gretchen's photos, links to the campgrounds, links to the national park, a lot of links to things that we talked to in this episode. So if you're listening to the show and you miss something, don't worry, just go back later to the rvatlas.com and you'll find it all there. So without further ado, let's bring Gretchen onto the show and talk about this epic RV trip to Newfoundland that took her five weeks. Uh, But before we do so, we have a sponsored message from our friends at Camco. Camco is one of our favorite companies in the outdoor recreation industry. For more than 50 years, they have remained a trusted North Carolina-based manufacturer specializing in innovative products for the RV, marine, outdoor living, and outdoor recreation markets. You may know them best by their American-made Rhino sewer hoses, Taste Pure water filters, 
EvoFlex drinking water hoses, and TST toilet chemicals. But their lineup of products doesn't end there. Camco continues to deliver products that bridge the gap between you and your next great adventure. From portable grills and campfires to ease lift hitches and power grip electrical adapters, they seem to be doing it all. There's a saying that if you own an RV, you are sure to own a Camco product or two. And it's true. We still use Camco products that we bought 12 years ago when we started RVing. This year, we are stocking up our new RV with go-to Camco products like their collapsible laundry basket and their life is better at the campsite dishes and mugs. Head to CampcoOutdoors.com to check out all of the cool stuff that Camco makes and get 10% off your entire order with our discount code RVAtlas10. Hello, Gretchen, and welcome back to the RV Atlas. How are you doing? And how was your summer? We have not spoken since spring, I believe. Yes, um, it was great. We had an awesome trip. We were gone most of the summer, mostly in Newfoundland, and it was it was great. Probably, maybe I would say our best trip ever. Oh my gosh! I, look, I opened up your notes this morning with a cup of coffee to get ready for this podcast, looked through your photos, read through your notes, and I felt like I was opening up a, like a Christmas gift. It was like, oh my gosh, this is so wonderful. Uh, it's like a treasure chest of information about planning a trip to Newfoundland. I'm so, I'm so excited for this episode. And it, it was this was a five-week trip, right? I mean, this really was um, not your whole summer, but... But yeah, most of your summer most was of the spent summer. here. Yep, we were we spent as long as we could there. My husband's a teacher, so he has the summers off, and we sort of just raced up the east coast and got there as fast as we could, so we would have as much time as we could to spend in Newfoundland. And that's a, dr- a heck of a drive. It's yeah. a heck of a towing experience. I mean, did, did 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 that go okay? Was that uneventful? Were you able to blast up there without too much trouble with the RV or anything? It was fine. We had a stop in. Um, New York, because my son had a music thing he had to do there. So, and we realized when we were there that we were only halfway, we live just north of Atlanta, that we were only about halfway from home to the ferry to Newfoundland. So that was a little daunting, but, but it all went smoothly. All right. This is an amazing two-part series for everybody listening. Um, in episode one, you're going to give us a, a lot of pre-planning information, because in your notes, you said that this was one of the most involved trips you've ever taken for planning, that this was like kind of next level in terms of the amount of planning you had to do. So you're going to walk us through just some robust information for anybody who's ever going to do this RV trip, uh, get them feeling confident and comfortable. And then we're going to tackle um, part of Western Newfoundland and part of Central in this episode, correct? Right. Oh, okay. wait, I think, I think we were going to, we were saying we were going to leave Central for the next episode. Gretchen, I think you're in it, charge. I think it's, I think it's how we is how we land what we landed on. That's I haven't been there, so it's it's totally <laughs> up to you. So okay, so this episode we're going to do the pre planning, and we're going to do Western Newfoundland, and then we're going to come back. There'll be a part two to this episode um, where we cover the rest of it. All right, so let's let's dive in. There's so much information here. Um, give us a broad overview of like what makes this a magical destination for an RV trip. It took a lot of effort on your part. Like, why was this on your bucket list? Sure. So I think kind of these rugged, remote RV destinations in general are kind of having a moment or a decade. And so I kind of thought of this as a more accessible version. Like, we can't get to Alaska in a summer. That's someday we'd love to go there. We can't get to Iceland with our RV. But this was kind of 
the same idea to me, but we could get there with the RV. And it just has such a huge variety, um, wildlife spottings. It has rugged mountains and then like quaint little towns and a pretty nice, um, you know, small, but really nice capital city in St. John's. So there was just so much to do there and everyone who went there just raved about it. So um, it just, I have been wanting to get there for several years. And of course, things interrupted trip planning over the past few years. So I feel like I was kind of planning it for the last five years or so, and I was excited to finally make it. And whales and puffins and icebergs and just yes. all these kind of amazing things that you don't get to see everywhere, right? Right. And all in one spot. It was incredible. The best trip ever. Wow. Laying down that claim. So so let's get into the pre-planning. And again, this was a five-week trip. And I know you're a planner to begin with, but this was sort of next level. So wh why is this such a complicated trip to plan? Just, just lead us into all these tips you're going to give us. Sure. So, I mean, for one thing, it's for most people really far away. Um, I think it was about 1800 miles. We're just north of Atlanta for us to drive to where the ferry leaves from. Um, obviously, if you're in like the Northeast United States, then that's going to be a lot closer, but you're still going to be driving all the way across Nova Scotia to get there. And then it's an island. So there's going to be a ferry ride and it's a long ferry ride. Um, the shortest ferry that most people will take to get there is about seven hours. Um, and then, um, it's just, it's something people I think are not familiar with. I think if you're going to Yellowstone, you can look on the internet and there's going to be a million guides to how to tour Yellowstone. Um, Newfoundland is big, so it's a lot to plan. And it's also, you can find planning information out there, but it's not as common of a destination as somewhere like Yellowstone or Glacier or some of the big national parks in the U.S. So, you know, there's a little bit of a dearth of information. But you said you did find a bit of a gold mine and some great resources with their tourism department. And you said that they had they had a, an awful lot that helped you, right? Yes. Um, it's the best tourism material I have ever seen. And I think they um, there was a cod moratorium to get into Newfoundland history a tiny bit. In 1992, the cod industry died. Basically, it was cod fishing was banned. So they've had to kind of try to figure out something new for their economy. So tourism has, has been a big focus and they do a great job. They will send you an actual thick book of tourism information and it's just beautifully put together and really thorough. And then their website is great. It has a um, interactive map where you can filter by like what sorts of things you're interested in and click all over the island so you can plan your route really nicely that way. Um, the photography is beautiful. They have all kinds of stories and interviews with locals on the website. It's just really, really nicely done. And I definitely, I wouldn't recommend for everywhere that you go right to the tourism bureau for information as your first source, but for Newfoundland, I would, because it's so well done. Excellent. And I, if you go to listeners, if you go to the rvatlas.com, somewhere near the top of the blog post, I did link to this tourism website and the photo photography was stunning. Like yeah. I actually just was quickly putting the link in and I was started kind of like, just like gazing at the photos. They were so amazing. Now you said in your notes here that as you were talking to people about this trip, you realized that a lot of people didn't know where it was or where you were going or what you were talking about. Right. Um, so just, and that's okay. If you're listening and you really like, where's Newfoundland? I have no idea. Can you just kind of give us a, a broad sense of just like where this is geographically? Sure. It's an island off of, it's the, the farthest 
east you can go in North America. And it's an island um, off the coast. It's kind of right across the water from Quebec, but from sort of the northern, more remote part of Quebec, um, just south of Labrador. The province is actually Newfoundland and Labrador is the name of the province because it includes Labrador. And then it's going to be sort of, I guess, northeast of Nova Scotia, if you've been to Nova Scotia. So just go as far east as you can on the mainland of North America and then keep going across the water and you get to Newfoundland. Right. And it's sometimes called Atlantic Canada. Uh, these are called, I believe, the, the maritime provinces. So, you know, you drive up through Maine into New Brunswick over to Nova Scotia. PEI is above that, as far as I ever got. Right. Um, and it's a, it's a really, um, it is a famous part of the of the world uh, just to some people because it's just known to be so beautiful and so magical, but it is very remote and hard for people to get to. Um, you know, the size of Newfoundland is, it's also uh, larger than, than people think, right? It's, it's more to tackle than a lot of people might realize in terms of, well, I'm going to go for a week, right? Right. It's, um, we figured out, we were trying to find something to compare it to. It's about the size of Pennsylvania. So that's something people might have in their head a little bit. So um, yeah, I think people think, well, I'll just go and see the whole island. And I'm on a couple of Facebook groups where people ask for advice on traveling to Newfoundland. And, and at least once a week, someone will say, well, I want to see the whole island in a week. What should my itinerary be? And people have to say, you don't want to see the whole island in a week because you'll just be driving the entire time. So, you know, I mean, it's several hours um, to get from one from the east to the west. Um, so, you know, you have to think of it as um, as that kind of destination somewhere. Um, where you either will be driving a whole lot or you need to kind of narrow in on what you're most interested in seeing. So I would say if you have less than two weeks, you might want to focus on either the west or east side of the island. Um, there are ways you could do it in two weeks that would be reasonable. If you have more than two weeks, you're going to have a little more time to play with. But, you know, just definitely keep in mind that you don't want to spend the whole time in the car. And also, um, you don't want to just circumnavigate the island and do the coastal parts which are incredible i mean the interior is is amazing right and and some of the most famous places there are in the interior i mean correct me if i'm wrong well in the central part like the interior yeah i mean there are some things to see most of the big hits are going to be on the coast but not just the east and west there's also that northern central coast that has a lot of great stuff that's one of the best places for iceberg viewing for example so you want to make sure you get, yeah, have time to stop as you're going east to west on the island if you can. You know, and you look, you did five weeks. And I think that, you know, that's one of the real positive strengths of RV travel is that uh, like a really long trip becomes doable and manageable and, and affordable, you know, reasonably priced. Right. Um, I couldn't imagine staying in hotels for, for five weeks or Airbnbs or whatever, whatever it is. Um, so you did you did an epic RV trip for sure. So let's let's get into some of the the planning tips. Now, when should we go? This this surprised me. Some of your advice here on uh, what month maybe you want to go, and it's it could be different for each person. Right. So I mean, the obvious answer is summer because it is does get very cold there, and they get a lot of storms. Um, and that is pretty much, you know, most of the tourist stuff's not going to be open outside of summer. But then you you can't just say summer because August is going to be very different from June, for example. Um, so everything kind of has a season there. 
So if you're there for whale watching, um, I need to check my notes because I always forget, but whale watching is best in July and August. So if you get there in June, you might, you're going to be a little early for the whale season. Um, puffins are there kind of all summer, but July and August are probably the best. And then they're going to be gone by early or mid-September. Uh, but we hear the weather is great in September. So you might consider that, but you're going to miss out on whales and puffins if you do that. We hear like, we heard that the cruise ships in St. John's tend to come in September because the weather is the nicest then. Um, and then June is great for icebergs. Um, they come from Greenland. The icebergs kind of float from Greenland. And so they get there by, I guess, late May. But um, most people who want to see icebergs are going to come in June because that's when the weather gets sort of reasonable, but it's still very cold. We heard locals called June, January because it's so windy and cold. And, and we were there for a couple of weeks in June and we can we can um, confirm that it was definitely very chilly, uncomfortably cold a lot of the times, a lot of the time in June. But if you want to see icebergs, they're a lot of times going to move out. We saw some icebergs in early July, but you can't count on that if you're not there early. So you July. were there for roughly the last two weeks of June and then like the first three weeks of July? Yeah, something. Yeah, roughly. basically last half. Yeah. W was that more about Dave's schedule or were you intentionally trying to get part of June with the icebergs and then, you know, into the, the nicer month of July? Right. It was mostly his schedule. He has um, June and July off basically and has to be back at work very end of July. So yeah, we didn't have a choice, but to, um, you know, and, and the compensation was we were there for iceberg season, but weather wise, July and August would be better months to travel. Now, did you see the weather really change? I mean, did you kind of mm. see the season change within oh, your definitely. trip? I mean, it was, it was almost like flipping a switch between June and July, like Canada day is July 1st. And so that's kind of the start of their season. And, um, yeah, it was, it went from being cold us wearing jackets and even hats some of the time to, um, being to several uncomfortably hot days. And it's very, it's very humid there. So when it gets hot, even if it's, you know, when I'm saying hot, I'm saying low to mid eighties, but it does feel uncomfortable because it is very humid there. So another benefit of the RV, you guys had to pack a lot of clothing. Like you guys had to pack right. for a couple different seasons. Yeah. You definitely want to go with layers. You probably, if you're there in June, you're probably not going to need an actual winter coat, but you know, definitely a waterproof layer and some kind of warm layer. And like I said, even just a winter hat, you'll, you won't be sorry that you have that along with you. Okay, great info. So what should we know in, in general? And, and throughout this podcast, you'll mention campgrounds you stayed at. What should we know about in, in general about camping in uh, Newfoundland? Uh, it is very cheap. Uh, we were uh, just surprised over and over again. I wasn't sure what to expect when I saw how cheap the campgrounds were. I was like, well, are they all just terrible? But they were not. I mean, they're mostly pretty no frills, but we almost never paid more than $40 Canadian, which is about, or $40, $45 Canadian, which is less than $40 US. You can take about 25% off all the Canadian prices to get what you'll pay in US dollars. So we regularly paid less than $30 US. The most expensive campgrounds, and this is with hookups, at least water electric, were in the 35 US range. So very is, inexpensive. Is that, now, is that that holds true for both public and private campgrounds? Because I know you mm -hmm. stayed at, at quite a mix. And like, I guess I'm surprised by that because it's such a short season for them to make money. 
um, you know, we're like in New England, uh, private campgrounds aren't going to cost 30 bucks a night, I'll tell you that. Right. And even and I've priced out because we're looking at other parts of Canada for next summer. This isn't doesn't seem to be a Canadian thing. It is a Newfoundland thing. Um, but yeah, private and public campgrounds, I think the most expensive, there's one KOA on Newfoundland and we stayed there uh, and we paid under $40 US for our site there. I think they go a little higher because we had a water electric and they have full hookups. But um, yeah, the most expensive private campgrounds were still in the $50 Canadian, so under $40 US range. I'm fascinated by this, and I don't want to spend too much time deviating talking about campground pricing, but uh, wow, they're able to keep their campground prices reasonable there at a time when uh, prices for American campgrounds, at least private ones, have exploded to some degree. That's quite interesting. Uh, <laughs> I wonder how they do it. Yeah. Um, so what are the roads like for RV travel? They are not great. Um... <laughs> If you stay on the Trans-Canada Highway, which is sort of the main highway that runs east to west, um, and it will go from the ferry on the south end and then go up and all the way across to St. John's, that's pretty good, although there's a lot of construction. Obviously, they don't have a very long season when they can do road construction, so there's a lot of it going on if you're there in the summer. Um, but it's a pretty good road. Anytime you get off that main road, which, of course, you want to do to see the things that you want to see, uh, it's just going to be really iffy. I mean, we would go, there's signs that say potholes ahead. And we would laugh about them because we're like, there are always potholes ahead. Like the sign isn't telling us anything because there are potholes two miles back too. But there are just a lot of a lot of potholes. I mean, they get a lot of ice and snow. They don't have, I, I don't get the impression they have a lot of money for road repairs and that kind of thing, like a big tax base or anything. So but also having signs is kind of like saying like they're permanent. Like we don't have right. any intention of fixing we're not gonna, them. We're not going to get to this anytime soon. So yeah. So just expect that. Go slow. Um, I mean, you might want to kind of ask locals because there are some roads that are worse than others. So if you can find a route that's a little less terrible. But um, we we talked to one couple from Ontario. We were chatting with them and they said, you know, they say... Um, now I'm going to forget what they said, but in Ontario, if someone's looking, if someone's swerving around on the road, they're looking at their cell phone in Newfoundland, they're going around potholes. So that's kind of just part of the just culture the there. But yeah. your RV did fine. We did not. I made sure we had good spares. I made sure we had roadside assistance. I made sure we had all of that, but we, we did fine. We were just talking about doing this podcast reminded us that we still need to bring the van in and get the alignment done and checked on the van because I'm sure it it could use some adjusting after the summer, but everything everything went fine. It was just bumpy. That's great to hear. How about internet uh, and just cell phone reception in a general sense? What was that experience like? Did you end up sort of being disconnected from the rest of the world? Uh, some of the time it's very spotty. Um, I mean, most of the island is very rural. So what we found was in towns, they're pretty good. You could get a signal. We have Verizon and Verizon kind of taps into whatever the Canadian uh, networks are. So if we were in a town, even tiny towns would usually have a pretty decent um, internet signal. Uh, anytime we were on the road, though, in between towns, it would just come in and out. So you, could, you can't count on if you're driving from one city to another or one town to another. There aren't really cities. Um, being able to have a signal. And then of course you want to check, um, which some people don't really, like my father-in-law was there on part of the trip and didn't realize um, that he would need to check about his US um, cell phone plan, that it wasn't just going to automatically work. 
Um, we have Verizon Unlimited, and it does automatically work in Canada and Mexico. And they've actually upped the data allowance since the last time we were in Canada, which was nice. So we didn't have any trouble with that, um, doing, you know, basic internet stuff, certainly not making calls or loading maps, and then even, you know, uploading pictures sometimes and stuff we could do over the Wi-Fi, but definitely check with your carrier to see what the deal is and make sure you don't wind up with some $700 bill that you weren't expecting when you get back. Or if you're like, you know, a full-time RVer or just somebody that ne that needs to work while they're there, you need to think through how that's going right. to actually happen. Um, what were the, what were the people like? So when I was originally thinking of going to Newfoundland, I remember reading, we had just been to Nova Scotia and I remember reading someone's blog post about Newfoundland and saying, we heard that the people in Newfoundland make the people in Nova Scotia look like ax murderers. And the people in Nova Scotia, I mean, you've been there, you know, they're yeah. incredibly kind, wonderful, friendly people. So I was like, I have to see this. I have to encounter this for myself. And I'm not going to say anything to disparage the people of Nova Scotia versus the people of Newfoundland. I won't, I won't make it a competition, but I will definitely say that the people in Newfoundland are indeed some of the kindest, nicest, funniest, friendliest people that you will meet anywhere. And they, and so make sure, even if you're not generally a chatty person, make sure you spend some time talking to locals, hearing their suggestions. They, um, in general, we found them really proud of their island and eager to show it off and to tell you the best things to see and places to go. I would think that ends up being quite a wonderful part of any trip when you feel embraced as a traveler um, visiting a location you've never been in before and you're getting those local recommendations and you're hearing stories and you're meeting people. I mean, there, there are certainly places in the world where you go and people are not happy to see you, right. whether it's by yeah. RV or by plane or, or whatever. Right. Um, you know, I happen to live in one of those places, frankly. Uh, so that, I mean, I would imagine that became a really nice part of the trip. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it's true. Not everywhere. And sometimes for good reason is happy to see tourists, but um, they are at least right now, maybe, you know, if they got too many of them, they wouldn't be thrilled. We did hear that uh, one person said she leaves town when the cruise ship docks in St. John's, but in general, they're very happy to have visitors and very happy to talk to you and very friendly. Okay, awesome. So we're going to come back in a second, and we're going to talk about about getting to to Newfoundland uh, and the ferry and getting your dogs there. And this is like really fa actually fascinating information that you need to know if you're an RVer who wants to go. So we'll be back in a second with Gretchen Holcomb. Uh, but first, we have sponsored messages from our friends at Blackstone and from our friends at Yogi Bear's Jellystone Park Camp Resorts. The sound of bacon or burgers and steaks sizzling is the sound that you crave this summer. Blackstone is the original flat-top griddle with more than 9 million griddles sold. Blackstone is the way that America cooks in the great outdoors. You can cook everything you can on a traditional grill and a thousand things you can't. Want an incredible breakfast? How about lunch or dinner? The solid steel flat-top infuses the flavors. Pick the size and style that's right for your next camping trip. The 17-inch and 22-inch griddles are easy to store in your RV and still have the space to feed the hungriest army. There's even a portable Blackstone with an air fryer built in. Talk about variety. With Blackstone, you can cook anything, anytime, anywhere. 
They even make a portable pizza oven that you can bring camping. For outdoor cooking fun and flavor that you can't find anywhere else, go wherever griddles are sold or head on over to blackstoneproducts.com. And remember, if it's not a Blackstone, it's not a griddle. Our family has been staying at Jellystone Park locations for 12 years. There are more than 75 Jellystone Park locations across the United States and Canada, and each one is unique. But our kids love them all because each Jellystone Park location has fun attractions like pools, water slides, splash grounds, mini golf, laser tag, and jumping pillows. Plus, there are tons of activities all day and all night long, such as foam parties, dance parties, wagon rides, tie-dye, and movie nights. They even have themed weekends like Chocolate Lovers Weekend, Christmas in July, and Halloween weekends in the fall. Of course, we can't forget the fun of hanging out with Yogi Bear, Boo Boo, and Cindy Bear. And at Jellystone Park, you can stay in your RV or enjoy one of their awesome glamping accommodations as many of their locations offer luxury cabins, yurts, covered wagons, and more. Make Jellystone Park a part of your family's vacation in 2023 because it's not just a campground. It's a Jellystone Park. To learn more and to book your vacation today, visit jellystonepark.com. That's jellystonepark.com. And please don't forget to tell Yogi Bear that Jeremy and Stephanie said hello. Welcome back to the show, Gretchen. I am having so much fun on our trip here to Newfoundland. And you're about to tell us about the really the ferry experience. And you brought, and I'm sorry, you have one dog or two dogs? You have one dog. We have three dogs, but we had two of them on this trip. One of them stayed home with my oldest son who was working over the summer. Oh, okay. Okay, great. So so let's break down the whole experience about getting over there on the ferry and what, what do people need to know? Okay, so this is um, maybe the most daunting thing to think about because it is an island. You can't drive there. So for almost everyone, you're going to, if you're going to bring your RV there, obviously you can fly, but you're going to drive all the way across Nova Scotia to the far eastern side of Nova Scotia to North Sydney, which is close to the Cabot Trail, if you're familiar with Nova Scotia at all, that's in that general area on that same peninsula. Um, and there are two different ferries that leave from North Sydney. One of them goes to Porta Basque on the south, I get east and west mixed up sometimes, southwestern side of Newfoundland. And the other one, and that takes about seven hours, that ferry runs all year round. And in summer, at least, it's usually twice a day. The other one goes to Argentia, which is about an hour and a half south of St. John's on the eastern side. St. John's is the capital city. So, uh, and that ferry takes, it only runs seasonally and it takes about 16 or 17 hours. So what some people do is they take the ferry to the eastern side of the island, go across the island and then take the other ferry back so that you're not backtracking. Um, the longer ferry is a lot more expensive. And also we didn't want with our dogs for them to be on the ferry for so long because we had no idea how they would do on the ferry. So we opted since, and again, it helped that we had plenty of time to take the shorter ferry to Porta Basque both ways. So that's how we did it. If you were not traveling with dogs, would you have made the same decision because of cost or whatever else? Would you have done it differently? We probably would have taken the longer ferry one way. It's, it is more expensive, but it's also a lot less driving back and forth across the island because I, 
I meant to look, I think it's about an eight hour drive between St. John's, at least an eight hour drive from St. John's to that other ferry. So if you've made your way over to St. John's and you have to go back, it's, it's a ton of extra driving. Uh, so you're saving a lot of time towing and you're mm-hmm. saving some gas money towing, obviously. Right. So, and obviously and, if time is short, then yeah, it's going to be more important. And you said the roads are rough. So I would be very tempted. I understand I would not want to do a 16 hour ferry with our dogs. Um, mm-hmm. But I, if I was not traveling with our dogs and I was in an RV, I would certainly be tempted to do the two different ferries. All right. So what was it like with the dogs on the ferry and what should people like, what, what do people need to know? Yeah, I think this is the biggest thing if you're traveling with pets that people worry about. And we were worried about it because our dogs have done a lot of traveling, but they've never been, they had never been on a ferry before. So there are three options if you want to bring your dog. I assume this is also true of cats. I will just say dogs because that's what most people will be traveling with. Um, the first is you can just leave them in your vehicle. And this is what we did on the way back. And they actually, there's a lot of information about this on the Marine Atlantic is the ferry company on their website. And they say that a lot of dogs are just more comfortable this way because it's what they're used to. Um, and our dogs were fine. We, you know, you, you, what you need to know is you cannot go and check on them while the ferry is crossing. Once the, the ferry leaves the dock, there are people down there working and they say that they go by and they'll let you know if your dog's in distress or anything, but you can't get back down there. So be aware of that. Um, but when we got back, our dogs were in their crates in our van and they seemed totally fine. They were happy to see us, but they didn't seem like they'd been distressed. There was no sign that they'd been, you know, frantically trying to get out or anything. They just seemed like it was just another car ride to them. Um, There's something else I was going to say about that. Um, Oh, one thing to realize though, is we thought we would probably put them in the trailer. We we have a van that tows a travel trailer and we thought we would probably leave them in the trailer because they're used to being in the trailer when we're gone. Um, you, you, they pack you in so tightly on the ferry, though, we would not have been able to get our steps out. So we didn't have that option. Once you're in there, don't count on being able to get into your RV at all. And that's a good thing to know for the ferry in general. Anything you need out of your trailer, get it before they load you onto the ferry, even before you get in line for the ferry, because those are very tightly packed, too. So um, so that was we kind of realized that as we were waiting in line, like we're not going to be able to get them in there. We need to get them settled in the van because they're not going to be able to ride in the trailer. Um, but yeah, so we did that on our way back, which was a daytime crossing and they did fine. Option number two is they have a kennel, like a room on one of the decks that is enclosed. It's inside and you can rent for a small fee. I think it's like $15 per, per ferry ride, um, a space. You have to bring your own crate and it has to be, it can't be a metal crate. It has to be like a airline approved plastic crate. Um, and then you can, your dog can stay in there. And the advantage there is you can go and check on your dog. In theory, you could just sit there the whole time with your dog, although it's not a very pleasant space. Um, the disadvantage there is there might be other, other dogs in there. There might be dogs barking the whole time. So, it, and it's an unfamiliar space. So it might make your dog really anxious. Um, we thought about doing that with our more anxious dog so that we could check on him, but I was glad that we didn't because it's just not it's not a great space for dogs. It's not comfortable. We wouldn't have wanted to hang out in there with him. And like I said, he did fine in our car. Um, and the third and option, and then you'd probably feel the need to constantly go back, right? Because you're, then, yeah, and then like you're not relaxing and enjoying the ferry ride, right? Which I did anyway, a little bit, wondering how they were doing in the van, but there was nothing I could do about it. So, um, and then the third option is pretty new. I think they've only had this about a year. They have pet friendly cabins, um, so. 
I'm going to say my number one tip for the ferry is to book early. And this is one of the main reasons. If you want a cabin at all, and especially if you want a pet-friendly cabin, they book up months in advance. We thought we were booking because most things in Newfoundland do not get very busy. It's not a crowded place. So we thought we booked in, I think, February for the ferry. And we thought for a June crossing. And we thought that was plenty of time. But the cabins were completely sold out. Um, This was for an overnight crossing that we did it. And I imagine the cabins sell out earlier for overnight crossings than the daytime crossings. But if you want a cabin, book as early as you can. And you can cancel up until I think 48 hours before with no penalty. And even if even if it's closer than that, I think it's a $25 fee or something. So there's no if as soon as you have tentative dates, go ahead and book because you can change it later with no penalty. Um, so even booking in February, four months in advance, the cabins were all sold out. We got on the wait list for every kind of cabin they had. So we got on the wait list for a two birth cabin, a four birth cabin, and a pet friendly cabin, which I think are all four birth. And at one point, they actually sent us an email and said, oh, you have one, you're off the wait list. But then a few weeks later, the boat changed and they sent an email with a subject line, loss of cabin. And it was oh, just sort of heartbreaking. <laughs> yes, yeah. it was terrible. So, but we were still on the wait list and right up until we got on the ferry, we thought we were going to leave the dogs in the car. And then we got on, uh, Dave, my husband, Dave went to the information desk and he asked about it and they said, oh yeah, you, you have a cabin, go get your dogs. So we went back down, got the very happy dogs out of the van and brought them up and we had the pet friendly cabin, which was a lovely way to travel with dogs. It was, it was very easy. Our, the crossing was, I think it's scheduled from like 11 at night to six in the morning and ours was delayed. So, I mean, we were just, the dogs were sleeping the whole time. We were in the cabin the whole time and it was just super easy. So like w- what you're saying here is that it's not necessarily hard to get, and correct me if I'm wrong, please. Um, it's not necessarily hard to get campsites uh, on this trip. That does not necessarily require massive advanced planning. Um, but the ferry does. So it's yeah, almost I mean, like you want to grab your ferry and then mm-hmm. it almost forces you to plan the whole trip early or at right. least do that part first. Right. Because I mean, you know, the ferries twice a day and there are quirks with the dates. Like we couldn't get the dates we thought we wanted because there, for some reason, randomly wasn't a ferry that day. So, um, yeah, I mean, you definitely, you know, it can be, can- and they can be canceled for weather and all sorts of things can happen. So and if you miss the ferry, you can't get to the island. So, um, yeah, definitely. I think that's the most important thing. There are campsites that will fill up. There are campgrounds that will book early. But the ferry, I think, is is the biggest moving part that you have to get settled. And was that pet, pet-friendly four-birth cabin expensive or did it just feel pretty reasonable? It, I think for what it was, it was very reasonable. I have, um, I mean, this is going to vary a lot depending on the size of your RV and how many people, obviously. But I looked and we paid. 870 US round trip. And that's what that was with five people one way and four people the other way, because one of my sons met us midway through our trip. Um, and that's with our, our van and RV, which is just under 50 feet. So 50 feet was the price increase. So we got in a little under that. So that's just to give you an idea of that. The cabin was additional. The cabins ranged between and I know this is I have the Canadian price for this. So I know that's confusing, but um, they're between $50 and $175. So that $175 is going to be for the pet-friendly cabin overnight because the overnight prices are higher. And that's Canadian again. So you're looking at like $140 US. So I think that was well worth it to have kind of that peace of mind 
that the dogs were with us and they were fine and also to have a place for us to sleep. In the grand scheme of what you're spending on a trip like this, it's a drop in the bucket. So if you're, you know, if you're going with a dog, get on it. Uh, yeah. Anything else you want to say about the ferry before we sort of land and uh, depart on our trip? Um, I would say even if, if you're doing that overnight crossing, which is actually nice, we didn't want the overnight crossing. That was what was available for our dates, but it ended up being great because you just sleep and then you're there. Um, so, but I would definitely recommend getting the cabin if you um, are doing the overnight crossing, because otherwise you're just in this open area. It's noisy. I mean, there are seats that recline, but it's, you're not going to get any sleep if you don't have the cabin. And then I would also say there are a lot of food options on the ferry. And there is one sit-down restaurant. I would say you don't need to do the sit-down restaurant because it is pricey and the food is not great. But they have either bring your own food or they have like a little snack stand that does sandwiches and coffee and stuff. So don't. I was all excited about eating at a restaurant on a boat. And in retrospect, um, it was not really that great. I, I wouldn't expect good food on a ferry. No. I, I, should, I should have known. And you have your RV, so you know you can have have food and then just get it out and and have it on the trip. So another right. advantage of traveling with the RV. All right, we have landed. Uh, so where to first? Uh, when when you kind of first got off the ferry, and what did you use as your first base camp? So we decided we didn't want to do a long drive just off the ferry, especially because we didn't know how we were going to sleep on the ferry or whether we were going to be doing a long drive with with no rest at all. So we picked a campground about half an hour from the ferry. One thing to know is it is incredibly windy, right? This is the windiest part of Newfoundland is right when you get off this Porta Basque ferry, there's a sign that says wreck house and we'll give you warnings. And we were like, what is this? Um, and we realized later from doing some research that it's called wreck house because the winds there used to blow the trains off the tracks regularly. So if you get off the ferry and you're driving through these crazy winds, don't worry. It's this one area and the whole island is not going to be like that. But it did make us very happy that we had a short drive. So we went about a half an hour to Grand Cadroy RV Park. And it's one of the few things in the area, one of the few options, but it's really lovely RV park. Um, big, spacious, grassy sites. The people are very friendly. They have like a craft shop that sells local crafts. And they'll give you a, a map of a driving tour of the area. And we did that. We had just one night there at the beginning. And then we ended up staying a night at the end. But um, we did that little driving tour in the afternoon. And it was lovely. You just are driving along the shore. There's no like big tourist attractions in that area. But you get your first taste of Newfoundland. And it's very pretty coastal drive. And the campground is great. It was one of the most expensive campgrounds because it was all of 40-something dollars a night Canadian. But... Um, I think that was for a full hookup site. But I think that's so smart that you didn't want to show up after this long ferry drive and then take a long and then tow the RV hours right. to your yeah. first stop. Like, I would have totally done the same thing that you did. I mean, did you sleep? Like, did you show up rested or were you very, very happy that you could only tow this short distance and then, you know, camp for the night? Um, I did not sleep on the ferry at all. I'm just not good at sleeping on transportation. Uh, but my husband slept great and he was the one driving. So it was fine. 
but still a great base camp to start your trip yeah, and, and sure. end your trip. I love it. Um, okay. So let's, are we going to head now into the, into Grossmore National Park? I mean, that's I sort so. of the first big place that you guys tackled there. Yeah. So give us, give us the breakdown. How, how much further did you drive? Um, where is it located? And, and what are some of the first things you did to get situated? So Grossmore National Park, there are two national parks in Newfoundland and Grossmore is by far the most popular one. Um, it's about three hours total from the ferry. So probably about two and a half hours from us, um, where we were staying at that campground the first night. And we split our stay between two different campgrounds because the, the park is kind of broken up. There's a Bombay Fjord runs through the middle of Grossmore. so you can, there's some stuff you want to see on the South side of Grossmore and the South side of that fjord, and then some stuff you want to see on the North side. So we picked two different campgrounds, but it's very common to, uh, do a day, day trips back and forth and to just pick one base camp. So depending on how long you have, um, you might decide to break it up or to just stay in one place. Uh, so on the south side, we do you want to talk about the campground first? Yeah, tell you, us tell us which camp, if you don't mind, tell us which campground sure. you, you chose um, on each side. Okay, so on the south side, we stayed at Water's Edge Campground, the very aptly named Water's Edge Campground. This is just, and this is true of a lot of campgrounds in Newfoundland, it's a patch of gravel on the side of the highway, but it was right on the water on that fjord. And we saw whales um, regularly just sitting on, at the picnic table outside of our trailer. It might've been the same whale over and over going back and forth. I don't know. But um, you know, somebody you'd look around and somebody would say, oh, there's a whale out there. And you'd look and there would be a whale just coming up out of the water. So um, that was incredible. And I mean, and, and it was, you know, tightly packed sites, but it had everything we needed. We had a water electric site. Um, the people were really friendly. There were nice bathhouses. So not fancy, but it had everything we needed. And, you know, there were whales right behind our trailer. And this is not a um, public campground in inside the National Park, right? No, it's very close to the National Park. And Canadian National Parks, I feel like, are a little wishy-washier about boundaries than U.S. National Parks. Um, like you'll kind of drive in and out of it on the highway, but um, it was very close to like one of the little towns outside and very like a five minute drive to the discovery center, which was kind of the main museum and visitor center for Grossmorn. But yeah, it's a private campground. They also do like kayak tours and boat tours and you can launch your kayak right from um, the campground too. So why don't you tell us what you did? Uh, while you were situated at Water's Edge Campground, what were some of the major things that you did using that as your base camp? Sure. So we went to the Discovery Center first to kind of orient ourselves, and that's where you can pick up an Explorer's book, Explorer's starting with an X, which is the Canadian equivalent of Junior Rangers. So my 10-year-old was with us, so he got that. Um, and they have, it's mostly exhibits about sort of the geological history of um, of the park and of this area. And this part of the park is, was very important in like figuring out plate tectonics, um, in the forties, fifties, I'm not sure when it was, but, um, you know, in the, the whole idea of Pangea and all the continents moving, um, there were, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to, you'll just have to go and read the exhibits, but, um, it was the, the, the formations and the kind of soil they have here was really important for helping scientists figure that out. So, um, and then you can go and see the formations they're talking about in the Tablelands hike. This is an easy hike. It's right by this discovery center. It's about four kilometers. Um, and you see you're walking on the earth's mantle. 
And some things you'll read will say, this is the only place you can walk on the Earth's mantle. I read that that is not true, but it's rare for it to be so accessible to have this kind of soil that's from and rock from the Earth's mantle just right there for you to walk on. It's usually like high on mountaintops and, and that kind of thing. So to be able to do just an easy hike, and it's this kind of orangey, yellowish, orangish rock, and it's just sort of a really foreign, uh, alien-looking landscape, um, which is really fascinating. And then um, you get to the end, and there's a lovely little waterfall and mountain views, and you can still see snow if you're there in June up at the top. And my son got excited about trying to climb up to where he could see the snow. They didn't make it because it was a lot farther than it looked, but he was kind of complaining for most of the hike. And then at the end, he got very excited about climbing up the rocks as far as he could. So it's great for kids and for everybody. It's beautiful and really interesting. And you had, and we, if you go to the RVAtlas.com to the show notes, there's a picture of this hike that Gretchen took. And there's other great pictures there too. And there's links to the national park as well. Um, so any other th major things that you did with Water's Edge as your base camp? Yeah, I would really recommend, there's a famous hike called Green Gardens, um, right by the Tablelands. We did not do that one because it sounded not good for grumpy 10-year-olds who are already a little upset about hikes. It's long and very hilly, but we heard that the Eastern Point Trail in the little town of Trout River would be kind of the same kind of views, but easier. And we love the Eastern Point Trail. It's in this little fishing town of Trout River. Um, you go up a very steep flight of stairs, but then after that, it's just along these bluffs with ocean views and views back down into the town. It's just, there are different loops you can make, but it's no more than a couple miles total. We hear sometimes there are sheep grazing up there. We didn't see sheep, but it's just beautiful views and, and easy, big payoff um, for an easy hike. Now, how, I hate to maybe even ask this question, but is there a, an American national park that's comparable in terms of uh, how beautiful this is or the landscape or did, or did it really feel like something completely out of the ordinary, something completely different uh, than you'd ever seen before? I mean, I guess I would probably compare it to Acadia more than anything else because you have the mountains and then the ocean right there. This is actually, Grossmore is actually the northernmost tip of the Appalachian Mountains geologically. So, oh, wow. so you get, you know, those same kind of green mountains right next to dramatic cliffs and rocky shorelines. So I guess, I mean, if, if you wanted a comparison, that's probably the one I would make of the ones I've been to anyway. And there are lighthouses as well. There right? are lots of lighthouses in Newfoundland. Yes. And, um, yeah. So what else did you do with this, uh, water's edge as your base I, camp, this part of the park? I think those were the big things that we did there. We were there a shorter amount of time. And so, yeah, Eastern Point Trail and the Tablelands were our big hikes there. We found Newfoundland to be very much a hiking destination. We did a ton of hiking. And there are lots of easy trails with big payoffs. So that was, it's very nice if you're hiking with kids. Okay, awesome. We're going to come back and we have more on Grossmore National Park. And we'll talk about other base camps that Gretchen used to explore Newfoundland. But before we do so, we have a sponsored message from our friends at RV SnapPad. Meet the world's only permanent jackpad. RV snap pads attach permanently to your RV leveling jack so you don't have to carry around blocks of wood or plastic blocks to level your towable or motorized RV. Simply snap them on one at a time and you're all set. RV snap pads go on in seconds and provide a lifetime of stability on the road. They are built for wanderers, adventurers, and vacationers just like you. SnapPad also now makes non-permanent leveling accessories for plastic levelers and buckets. 
They make everything you need to have the best leveling experience possible in your RV. We added RV snap pads to our travel trailer two years ago and love their durability, design, and functionality. They also make setting up and breaking down camp faster and easier. Finally, SnapPad recently collaborated with Camco Manufacturing to release the most durable, rugged, and stable scissor jack stabilizer available today. Head over to rvsnappad.com and use their Submit Your Rig tool to answer a few quick questions, and they will find you the perfect set of snap pads for your towable or motorized RV. Join the RV SnapPad revolution today. To find out more, visit rvsnappad.com. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We are here with Gretchen Holcomb from Boxy Colonial on the road, and we are taking an epic road trip to Newfoundland. Uh, we're talking about Grossmore National Park, and we just did the south side, correct? Right. And now we're heading to the north side, and we're going to talk about your base camp there, the campground you selected there, and some of the things that you did around it. So which campground did you choose, and did you like it? We stayed at Newfoundland's only KOA, the uh, I think it's called the Grossmorn Norris Point KOA, and we liked it a lot. Um, this was there were more places to pick from on this side of the park, so we went back and forth a few times because there was one that was a little closer to town. But um, we were happy with this one. One of the complaints you'll read about it if you're reading reviews is that the sites are really tight. That was not our experience because we picked a. Instead of a full hookup site near the front, we picked a water electric site in the back of the campground. It was a huge, really spacious wooded site. We couldn't see any other campers from our site. Um, you probably wouldn't be able to fit. We have a 32-foot trailer. You wouldn't, we had no trouble fitting, but you probably wouldn't want to put a big fifth wheel or you know, 40-foot motorhome back in this area. But, but anything smaller than that will fit no problem. So, um, and then it was the most private site we've ever had at a KOA. And this again you, you, is going to be, oh, sorry, go ahead. You just revealed part of the secret sauce for KOA that all of our listeners should know. A lot of times the sites that are up near the front or up near the camp store or that are more trafficked to make them desirable, they make them the more deluxe, expensive, full hookup type sites or the patio sites or whatever they are. So they're following that pattern there, basically. They're trying to make those sites more appealing. So you had, you had a beautiful site. You just gave up the sewer hookup, basically. Right. And yeah, and we ended up being there about a week. We shifted some things around, so we were there longer than we expected. But it was fine because we had our blue tank with us and just, you know, the dump station was was right there and it was all fine. Okay, so nice I interrupted. Too. Uh, that's I, always I, was just, <laughs> I interrupted you. So what else is there that you liked? Um, it has a great... Pond. They call everything a pond, uh, even if it looks like a lake by U.S. standards. So there's a very big pond at the KOA, and you can uh, rent pedal boats, or you can bring your kayak out or rent a kayak. There's a nice walking trail all around that. And then all the usual KOA amenities, dog park, jumping pillow, not a pool. I don't think we saw any campground pools in Newfoundland, which makes sense. It's cold almost all the time. Um, but, you know, most of the things you'd expect from a KOA. And it was, I think we paid, this again was one of our most expensive campgrounds and it was still well under $50 a night US. And did you swim in the pond or was it, it sounds We chilly. saw people swimming in the pond. I would not have, have gone. I mean, th this was one of our, we, it was still June. So I would not have gone in the water, but we saw people doing it. And maybe if it were July or August, you'd be more likely to, to be comfortable in there. 
and I know you guys in your travel style, you're not lou- you're not driving all the way up to Newfoundland and then like lounging at the KOA, right? I mean, you are day tri- you are doing day trips every day. So what are the things that you explored um, with the KOA as your base camp? So some of our favorite things on the north side, um, the Western Brook Pond Tour, you'll hear almost anyone who goes to Grossmore is going to talk about this. It's very popular. So again, book book in advance, not as far in advance as the ferry, but you know, when you know your dates, go ahead and, and grab a ticket because again, you can cancel. Very generous cancellation policies in Newfoundland. Um, so that takes you out on one of the um, fjord-like ponds. They said it was not actually a fjord because it doesn't open up to the ocean, but it's one of these dramatic, you know, water with dramatic cliffs on either side that was carved by glaciers. Um, and you just go on a boat tour out through the middle of it, and they narrate it and and tell you what you're seeing and uh, then you go back. It's also kind of nice. There's a three kilometer hike to get out to the boat dock. And that's a lovely hike too. It's a really easy flat hike. Um, you do need to make sure you leave yourself plenty of time for that because the boat does get crowded and the earlier you can get on, the better a seat you'll get. But um, that's a lovely hike too. That was a little boring for my 10 year old. There's not, you're just looking at beautiful stuff. So younger kids than that might not be the best bet, but even if you don't do the boat tour, doing that hike is worth it. So that was that was our one boat trip that we booked. Um, aside from the ferry in Newfoundland, we we there's lots you can pick from, and that's the one we went with. And and quite to be quite, I pre, I so appreciate your honesty about the ten year old and and hiking because I have a ten year old, and hiking is to put it mildly never his first choice of activity. I, I can tell you loved this trip, and I'm sure Dave loved this trip. Did the kids love this trip? I mean, you said best trip ever. Um, yeah. Did the, did the kids feel that way? You know, I've, I've asked them, I've taken a survey and my older kids say Ireland still, we did Ireland a few years ago. Um, so, but they, but everybody did love the trip and the 10 year old, some of the hikes he did great on, you just never knew which mood you were going to get is the problem with hiking with him. Sometimes he loves hikes. He's running up ahead. Everything's great. Sometimes not. So you just have to put up with the moods. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think he definitely would say he loved the trip. And I think the animals probably were his favorite part, my 10 year old. And we did, I, ha- I don't have, this is not like a thing you go see, but we, I think saw five moose on our trip and all of them in gross morn. So, um, you know, I feel like moose is like the elusive animal that everyone is like, and I've never seen a moose. Um, yeah. In go New to England, right? Right. Like they're like, well, you can see them in Nova Scotia. You can see them in, in Maine, but you're probably not going to. Um, you will almost certainly see moose if you spend long enough in Newfoundland. They are not native to Newfoundland. They brought them over um, to be like a source of food um, about 100 years ago. And they've just kind of taken over. So they are not as thrilled. The people who live in Newfoundland are not as thrilled about the moose. But if you're coming from somewhere where you don't see them, it was pretty exciting. Okay, so anything else in terms of the the national park, or are we going to depart the national park? What's what's next? Um, so another great place on the north side of Grossmorn is um, Lobster Cove Head Lighthouse. Uh, this is they've got a museum in the lighthouse, so you can see that, and there's you know you can see how people lived when there was a lightkeeper living there, and there are a lot of hands-on activities. I've found Canadian parks always be really good with activities for kids. And then you should try to go there um, at low tide, because if you walk down the trail next to the lighthouse, there's um, 
just this great rocky shore, giant rocks, lots of rock scrambling and tide pooling and great for kids. All right, Gretchen. So any cute towns on on the north side of the park, any towns worth exploring for, for, for food or for culture or for music or for whatever? Tell us what about the little towns. Yeah, probably the main tourist town for all of Gross Morn is on the north side and it's Rocky Harbor. It's just less than a 10 minute drive from the KOA. And um, the, you'll find more restaurants there than most places. On this whole side of the island, restaurants are a little hard to find. It's hard to find any much variety in them, at least. But this one had a little more selection. And at the, um, I'm sure I get the name right, the Ocean View Hotel, because everything has ocean or water in the title. The Ocean View Hotel in Rocky Harbor has a nice restaurant. We ate there twice, actually. And several nights a week, they have kind of a dinner show, um, a local band called Anchors Away, and they just do kind of a comedic musical show with lots of traditional Newfoundland music. Lots of uh, tour buses come to see this, so it does definitely sell out. Um, this is another thing we got waitlisted for and then got off the waitlist. And note that it is only ages 19 and up. So this is one where we left our uh, older kids in charge of the 10-year-old and went by ourselves. Is it risque? Why on earth is it 19 it's, and up? The description, I think they just want you to buy drinks. They just want people who can buy alcohol oh, there. And 19 oh, is the Canadian the sense in the world, drinking then. age. But yeah, there's not, I mean, it said something in the description like so, Newfoundland humor, but nothing over the top. So there are a couple of like very slightly innuendo filled jokes, but nothing, nothing you would, any adult would be offended by or probably, and nothing that I would not want my 10 year old to see, but he was not allowed. To my Canadian friends listening, you are allowed to maximize profits as well as Americans, okay? Like, I was trying to point out before that your campgrounds are so affordable and so wonderful. But yes, 19 and up makes all the sense so that everybody can buy some drinks and you can right. and you can make some money. So did you guys love the show? I mean, your, your family, yeah. you, you guys are a musical family. Like, was the music really good? Was it kitschy? Did you like it? And I linked it to was, this in the show notes as well, to Anchors Award. Yeah, it, yeah it, it was kitschy, but it was a lot of fun. I think I said, we're not that young, but I said, I think we're the youngest people here because it was like the tour bus crowd kind of thing, but it was a lot of fun. Okay. I, I, this is a famous show, I think. Like, I don't know much about Newfoundland besides what you're teaching me in this episode. I have heard of this show before. I have read about yeah. this. Um, and you okay, will great. be seated with um, other people, just so you know, if this if this is a deal breaker for you, because we were surprised when we got there. Like we had a four top table and they seated us with another couple because they fill every space. And it was fine. They were lovely. We chatted with them. But, you know, it's it's cruise ship like in that in that sense. So just be aware of that. OK, great. Let's wrap up the north uh, side of Gross Morn National Park. And what are some other things we want to make sure we hit before we move on in an epic trip to Newfoundland? So on the north side of Gross Morn, I think that's all I've got. We did, I mean, we did a few other hikes that were great. We did the Coastal Trail. We did the Bakersbrook Falls Trail. Again, you could go every day on another um, hike. One thing to note, this is the side of the park where you'll hike Gross Morn Mountain. We did not do that. It was not even open in June because that's, I guess, when there are baby animals and they don't want to bother them. Um, but it's a re reputed to be a very, very difficult hike, like harder than you would expect based on the distance or the elevation gain, because it's a lot of like loose rock kind of the whole way up. So I think we would not have done it anyway. And in general, Newfoundland is a very dog friendly place, beaches, trails, almost all allow dogs, even in the national parks, but this one does not. And I think it's because of the wildlife and because those rocks would just be really hard on dogs feet. They would not be able to do that comfortably. 
Okay, awesome. So where did you guys uh, head next on the trip? And remember, this is just part one of, of two for Gretchen's epic road trip to Newfoundland. So where to next? So north from Grossmore, and you can go all the way up. If you think about how, if you if you don't know what Newfoundland is shaped like, it's kind of like a big, wide part at the, in the southern part of the island. And then there's just a skinny little peninsula that goes way up north. So they call that the Great Northern Peninsula. And there's a road that goes all the way along that called the Viking Trail. So our plan was to go all the way up the Viking Trail to the northern tip. And this is also where you can take a ferry to Labrador on the mainland. If you're interested in seeing the Labrador part of Newfoundland and Labrador, that's where you would go. Um, again, though, this was June. So we did not make it all the way up because we looked at the weather forecast and it was going to be in the 40s for the highs, raining and very windy. And we thought, we just were just, and it was a long drive, so we just didn't do that. But that, if you make it up there to St. Anthony and Lonsa Meadows, Lonsa Meadows is the site where Vikings landed and they have archaeological evidence of Vikings coming before Columbus. And you can see a recreated Viking settlement. Um, the other reason we didn't make it up there is because the programs, it's a National Park Service or it's a Parks Canada site. And um, the programs that we wanted to do didn't start running until July. So that was another reason we decided not to make the drive. And then there's supposed to be really great whale spotting and iceberg spotting from St. Anthony up there, like right from shore. I've seen incredible pictures of whales just breaching right next to, you know, you don't have to go on a boat. You just see them while you're standing on the shore. Um, but we wouldn't have been able to see them because it was going to be foggy and raining. <laughs> so, but we did make it as far as port which is another Parks Canada site uh, about halfway up the peninsula. And um, it's an archaeological site where they found a lot of evidence of some of the early um, human settlements in that area before Europeans came. And uh, it's just a really fascinating site. And you can walk out. There's a great trail across the limestone barrens where there are some sort of rare plants that some of them only grow in this particular area of Newfoundland. Like it's the only place in the whole world you can see them. There's a nice lighthouse there. Um, there's a French bread oven where you can get bread that was cooked over the spire. So it's just a fun little town. Um, and there we stayed at the in the parking lot of the Sea Echo Motel, uh, which had water electric hookups just in the parking lot of this hotel. And it was fine. It was just, you know, a parking space. Um, there's another one called the Oceanside RV Park that's run by the Lions Club. That's the same kind of deal. It's right on the water and it's just kind of a gravel parking space. We tried to book that one, but the guy wasn't returning our phone call. Um, so then we... When he finally, we booked the Sieco Motel, when he finally called us back, Dave said, oh yeah, we booked somewhere else. And he said, oh yeah, that's my aunt's place. So that works out. So you get, you get a lot of that in Newfoundland. <laughs> oh my gosh. But it was fine, right? I mean, it was totally yeah. serviceable for a base camp. Yeah. And we saw Oceanside RV Park too. Either one would be fine. They're going to be pretty much the same thing. They're both really windy because um, Port is this tiny little is isthmus, you know, one of those. It's, so there's got water on either side of you. So the winds are just coming across. So it's it's going to be windy if you're there in June. But yeah, they were both they both looked completely fine. And is this an area where you sort of stocked up and you had some access to civilization? Am I reading your notes correctly here? That's another place um, which I just mentioned. Um, no, Portishaw is a tiny little town, but um, uh, just out not just outside, but you know maybe an hour outside of Grossmorn. Uh, along the Trans-Canada Highway, there's both Deer Lake and Corner Brook are the two big towns there. Deer Lake actually has a regional airport, 
And we picked my son up there because he was flying in from Halifax. And Cornerbrook is kind of the biggest, it's the second biggest city in Newfoundland, which is not saying a lot, um, but it does have like a Walmart, Tim Hortons, all that. So you can stock up on groceries there. Um, we stayed at the Kinsman Prince Edward campground in Cornerbrook. We were there two nights. Uh, they have some nice walking trails in town too, and some nice uh, restaurants. There was a board game cafe where we enjoyed some air conditioning because that was our hottest day, I think. Um, and it was just a nice little bakery and coffee shop and you could get a board game so that we played ticket to ride and just sat there in the air conditioning for, you know, an hour and a half or whatever. This was such a major operation for your family. You're talking about your son flying in, you're talking about your father-in-law flying in, like, wow. Like, I mean, like, I'm impressed by this. And were you really the, the chief of planning for all of these moving parts? Oh, I'm always the chief of plan. I mean, you know, I like doing the planning. Dave plans the gas stops uh, because he likes to look at maps and I plan pretty much everything else. He'll sit next to me and I'll say, does this sound like a good idea? And he'll he'll be very supportive. But yeah, I'm the day by day itinerary planner for sure. And then, of course, he loses the right to complain about anything you choose along the way. Right. I mean, he, if you're choosing the campgrounds, if you're choosing the hikes, right, everybody else better be quiet and go along for the ride. Being very open to suggestion and liking things is what is one of the big things Dave brings to our marriage. So it works out well. Oh, my God. That's wonderful. So I was going to ask you if the RV did fine on this five week epic adventure. You told me that it did. So just what RV do you have super quickly? Give a shout out to your RV. If your RV went all the way up to Newfoundland, five weeks, no trouble. I want everyone to know what kind of RV you got. We have a Venture Stratus uh, bunkhouse, so it's kind of a smaller brand, but um, we've been really happy with it. I think it, it's very similar to your new, um, the floor plan is pretty much identical to your new, the grand design. In fact, we looked Everybody at the grand design. Everybody makes that floor plan. Right, yeah. And we looked Everybody. at the, the grand design was our other, um, when I was listening to your episode where you talked about picking the grand design, like all the things you went through, pros and cons, I was like, oh, this is exactly what we were doing when we were picking ours. So yeah. It's it's that floor plan with the bunks in the back and the in the master bedroom with the. Oh, I love I I love hearing when an RV does so well on such a long trip. Now, give everybody just so we wrap things up here. Give everybody a sneak peek of of episode two. You're going to be back next week, and you're going to take us to the the central and eastern parts of Newfoundland. Just just super quickly, like where are we going next? What are the highlights? Yeah, so we're going to head back to the Trans Canada Highway and across the island uh, to St. John's, the capital. That's uh, the far eastern end. And on the way, we're going to stop on the north coast and see some icebergs. Let me put you on the spot. Which part of the trip did you like better? The part we just covered or the <laughs> or what, what we're going to cover in episode two of this epic adventure? I honestly don't think I can pick. I've tried, you know, in my own head, I have I have tried. But this gross morn is just the rugged scenery and the mountains. It's just, I mean, like driving into gross morn on the highway and just seeing those views of the mountains by the by the fjord is just maybe the most beautiful scenery I've seen anywhere. So it's hard to compete with that. But then on the other side, Saint, I love St. John's and the other side is where we saw Puffins. So, I mean, it's really hard to compete with Puffins too. Yeah, it's super hard to compete with Puffins. Gretchen, this was truly an epic adventure and it was just part one of a two-part series. And it's one of my favorite parts about podcasting. And this is why for me, the RV Atlas podcast will never get old because I can sit here and be transported all over the country and maybe at some point all over the world. I'd love to start doing some international. Well, this isn't a different country. Uh, I thank you so much for for taking us on this adventure and, um, you know, helping everybody that might want to plan this trip. It's it's a daunting trip 
Um, but it, I guess it doesn't have to be a daunting trip if you put in the time and the research and you know all the things. You know, like if if someone were to show up and not know that they couldn't go see their dog in their car, I, I we I mean I might panic. You know, I right. could see somebody really 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 stressing out. But you know, it, you know before you go, right? And then you can also decide if it's right for you. And so just those little tips that that information you know from the RVers perspective incredible this is an incredibly valuable episode and uh, I I know that some of our listeners will make this trip and be inspired by this so thank you so much for coming on the show yes thank you I love talking about Newfoundland awesome well we're going to do it again soon right okay take care Gretchen thank you thanks Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the RV Atlas. To find out more about the topics discussed on this show, head on over to the RVAtlas.com. And to join the friendliest group of RVers, head on over to the RV Atlas group on Facebook and make sure to join us on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram at the RV Atlas. If you enjoy our show, please consider leaving us a review over on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And we will see you at the campground. See you at the campground.